Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our epistle reading today, in describing the work of Christ, breaking down the division between Jew and Gentile, crescendos toward a dramatic turn at the end of the chapter. Most of the reading refers to us who were once far off, strangers and exiles, finding a home and a dwelling in God through Jesus Christ. But the last verse inverts the image and has us standing upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, becoming a dwelling place for God. What could it possibly mean for all of us, saved by divine mercy alone, to become God's own dwelling place? Our reading particularly emphasizes the peace and unity established by Christ's death for both circumcised and uncircumcised alike. So today, I'd like to meditate with you on that unity within Christ's body that makes us into a dwelling place for God. Unity and division within the church is a subject with a lot of personal import for me. There are denominational differences present in my immediate family that are expressed most visibly in the Eucharist because one of the denominations that we represent practices closed communion, I'm not able to take the body and blood of Christ with all of the people in my family. And this has been a source of great sadness. It feels like a microcosm of the larger divisions that haunt the family of God. And so I come to the reading from Ephesians with um, many mixed emotions. And I find that it's helpful to name that up front as we enter a hopeful but very complex passage. With that said, what stood out to me most clearly in rereading, reading and rereading this passage is the assertion that Christ himself is our peace. Verses 13 and 14 read, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. Jesus is himself our peace and the overcoming of our dividing walls and hostilities. For me, it calls to mind the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which in seven verses meditates on seven titles for the Savior. The seventh verse which I simply can never sing without many tears, reads, O come, O King of nations, bind in one the hearts of all mankind. Bid all our sad divisions cease and be thyself our King of peace. In Ephesians, I'm moved by verse 14, which stresses that Christ has made Jew and Gentile into one humanity in his flesh. When we pray to become the dwelling place of God, we are looking for an incarnate unity accomplished by a flesh and blood Christ. In casual conversation, we often think of groups or items being unified in the abstract. A Bengal tiger and my house cat named Smudge are different animals, but we can unite them in our minds by abstracting what they have in common that they're both cats. But the epistle writer is doing something 
different. Rather than moving from the particular to the universal or abstract in order to transcend difference, he directs the Ephesians toward the particular, saying it is the flesh and blood of a first century rabbi from Nazareth that breaks down our divisions and unites us. And I think this is connected to the vision of Christ's compassion in our gospel reading. The crowds are clamoring for Jesus, begging that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak because the divine power emanated by this human figure that they could approach and touch with their own hands attracts them. John Chrysostom comments on this passage, let us also then touch the hem of his garment, or rather, if we be willing, we have him entire. For indeed, his body is set before us now, not for us to touch it only, but also to eat and be filled. Let us now then draw near with faith, he writes, for if they that touched the hem of his garment drew from him so much virtue, how much more they that possess him entire. And so it is to Christ's body that we turn for our peace. Verse 16 says that Christ died so that he might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross. Just as it was a bodily signifier that separated humanity into two groups, the circumcised and the uncircumcised, it is also an incarnate reality, and in fact, the shedding of blood that makes us one humanity in Christ. When we read that he reconciles us to God in one body, the suggestion is that by becoming one with Christ, we join him on his journey through death into life. As Paul writes to the Romans, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. This is the end game of what the first chapter of Ephesians calls a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in himself, things in heaven and things on earth. The idea that we are reconciled and resurrected in Christ by becoming part of his body has inspired Christians in the arts throughout the history of the church. And here are two examples. Dante's Divine Comedy has the first person narrator following his guide Virgil down and down through the nine circles of hell and crawling through an aperture at the very lowest point only to find that hell itself is upside down and that what he thought was a descent has all along been an ascent. By crawling through hell, he has in fact been moving slowly toward heaven. A similar image inspired a contemporary Christian hip hop group called Alert 312 in their song Perpendicular, which is based on the conceit of death as a swing. The final lyrics of the song go like this. Swing me low, then come out high, swinging through his tomb, we touch the sky, buried through his grave, from death to life, new creation in the tomb, through faith I fly. Indeed, this is the witness of scripture as well. Just before our lectionary begins, we read in Ephesians that God in his love 
has made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What I am slowly beginning to realize is that this peace, which is ours in Christ, stretches far deeper than a degree of harmony in our actions and interactions. Jesus brings us a peace that is ontological, expressed in action, but rooted in the truth of what we are. Again, from Ephesians 2, for we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. The mystery of our reading is that Christ's death takes on this creative act. Verse 15 says that he abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances, that he might create in himself one new humanity in the place of the two. Christ is the word that God speaks as he breathes the universe into existence. And now it is in Christ or in his flesh in his humanity broken on the cross, that humankind is refashioned as a single body for the glory of the Father. How true it must be then that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. Now it is true that we very often do not live in the full reality of what God has made us. The conflicts within the church today, which are certainly not new, fall sadly short of expressing in spirit and truth the reality of what God has created us to be. It's also true that overcoming these divisions is a matter of ongoing discernment and far beyond the scope of this sermon. But I do want to say something briefly about what we are called to in the midst of our attempts at reconciliation. Specifically, I'm going to mention two spiritual dispositions that I think are essential to the task of inhabiting our oneness in Christ. The first is thankfulness and praise for Christ's body. The author of Ephesians writes that God has raised us up with Christ and seated us in the heavenly places with a particular end in mind. God brought us into his heavenly kingdom so that in the ages to come, quote, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Becoming a dwelling place for God or a temple or throne for the Lord Jesus means receiving his everlasting kindness, delighting in its immeasurable riches. It's to luxuriate in the kindness of Jesus. In fact, the eschatological reference to the ages to come almost suggests that God's kindness suffuses the air that we breathe and lights up the center of our being, just like in John's vision at the end of Revelation, the Lamb himself lights up the heavenly city in which he and the blessed dwell together. When we luxuriate in God's kindness, remembering and praising what he has done for us in his flesh, we image this heavenly reality. For it is when we bask in the kindness and grace of God that we begin to radiate kindness and grace ourselves. When someone emerges from a deep sleep, a long and relaxing bath, or some other 
form of rejuvenation, they often have some sort of glow about them. And this is a little bit what it is like when the people of God intentionally rest in the kindness of Jesus and his never failing mercies. The light of the lamb accompanies them wherever they go. The fragrance of Christ is heavy in the air around them. So this is the first spiritual disposition that I think is essential to be a dwelling place for God. And the second is humility. To live fully in the peace that God has won in his flesh, we are ultimately to ask nothing in life, not success, not wealth or significance, nothing but the grace to be like Christ. We read in Ephesians that the household of God of which we are members is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And one of the primary lessons that I have taken from the early witnesses to the gospel is humility, which often means decreasing so that Christ may increase. There is nothing more precious than growing in holiness, nothing so central to the task of living. As the prophet Isaiah says in one of the opening sentences for today's liturgy, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with the one who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite. In closing, I would like to share a passage from Julian of Norwich, the 14th century English anchoress and visionary. She writes extensively on her visions of the suffering Christ. And there is one meditation on his blood that provides me with great assurance. It's a long quote, so bear with me. She writes, the dear worthy blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, as verily as it is most precious, so verily is it most plenteous. Behold and see the precious plenty of his dear worthy blood descended down into hell and burst her bounds and delivered all that were there which belonged to the court of heaven. The precious plenty of his dear worthy blood overfloweth all earth and is ready to wash all creatures of sin, which be of good will, have been, and shall be. The precious plenty of his dear worthy blood ascended up into heaven to the blessed body of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there is in him bleeding and praying for us to the Father and is and shall be as long as it needeth and ever shall be as long as it needeth, and evermore it floweth in all heavens, enjoying the salvation of all mankind that are there and shall be. I take great comfort in this vision of Christ's blood descending into hell, covering all the earth and flowing evermore in heaven. Even when Christians do not share the fullness of fellowship together, I do believe that Christ's blood can find a way beyond the barriers that we have erected. The effects of his blood travel beyond our understanding of their possible limits. His blood has penetrated the gates of hell and trampled on death by death. Our divisions pose feeble resistance against a power like that. And the blood of Christ is also what brings all of us from the nations into the fold. 
regardless of our bloodline, we are wrapped around by the arms outstretched on the cross. And so I also see in Christ's blood, his glory, the tribute of the nations brought before the heavenly throne. In Julian's words, his dear worthy blood that has ascended up into heaven to the blessed body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every soul that cries out for Jesus is swept up in the flow of his blood through death into the body of Christ who sits now in the heavenly places. Lord Jesus, make us into one body with all the thankfulness and humility that befits a dwelling place for God. And Lord Jesus, sustain us when we feel we are being ripped asunder and bring us at last into the light of your face. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.